John 15, 1 through 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How can you tell if you're a real Christian? What will it look like? What will your life look like if you are truly born again in Christ? To borrow a word from Jesus' teaching in John 15, how can you prove you are a Christian? Jesus used that word, prove. One of the most common questions that I get as a pastor, and it's often a question that is offered up with, with a deep searching of people's own souls and wondering about what's happening in their life is what kind of evidence will there be in my life that I'm a real Christian? That people would come to me as a pastor occasionally and say, how can I tell? How can I know? What can I look to for assurance of my salvation? Of course, the best answer of that is to know the Word of God. <laughs> and to live by faith in Jesus. And so many of the I am statements about, that Jesus gives to us are about the beginning of the Christian life. And if we would say we believe in those I am statements about Jesus, then certainly we can know that we're born again. That Jesus is the gate through which we enter into the flock under God's care. If you believe that with all your heart, you're born again. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if we want life, we must believe in Him. Apart from Him, there is no life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no salvation, once again, apart from Him. He's the bread of life. And without Him in our lives, we are hungry. He's the light of the world. Anyone not walking in His light lives in darkness. And so many of these passages, these I am statements, are about entering into a life in Christ. They're about these these moments of transformation that God works by His Spirit. That Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the way. 
And, and it's for good reason that there's a lot of attention in the Bible about how to enter into a relationship with God. Certainly, we need to know how, about that beginning moment of the Christian life. But here in this passage, Jesus turns his attention to what it will be like to live with Christ, to live with him. He says, he's the true vine and we are the branches. His attention is turning to the person who is born again and is connected to him. What will that person's life look like? So here's how a real Christian will live. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. This means that we enter into real life through Jesus And we also remain connected to Jesus. One of the great errors in the American evangelical church is so much emphasis on the entering in that at times there is little emphasis on abiding in Christ for the rest of our lives. Serving Jesus, remaining in Him, trusting in Him, seeking Him, praying, worshiping Him. And so that's our attention today, is what does it mean to abide in Him? In verse 5 it says, when you abide in Him, you'll bear much fruit. That means instead of having a life that's full of misery and bitterness and unforgiveness and sadness, you will bear spiritual fruit. Of course, this should spark in our minds the remembrance of Galatians 5, where the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. You'll live with peace when you're living in Christ. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When, when you live in Christ, you're exhibiting those attributes because those are the attributes of Christ. Then in verse 7, it says that Jesus' words abide in you as well. And so when you're living in Christ, his word will be important to you. You just want to know what the Bible says. You want to know what Jesus said. You want to live your life in accordance with the way that he set out for you. In verse 10, abiding in Christ means keeping his commandments, obeying Jesus, submitting to Christ. Those words, obey and submit, our culture is almost allergic to those kinds of words. But here we have encouragement that those words are good especially in reference to obeying and submitting to Christ. Anyone who abides in him will keep his commandments. So the result of abiding in Christ will, will be amazing. It will be the glory of the Father. It will be the joy, a joyful life for the Christian. He even said in the last verse we read, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy, imagine, the joy of Christ may be in you and that your joy will be full, it will be filled up to overflowing. As we remember in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. That's the life of the Christian, full of joy. We have a great definition of abiding in Christ from, uh, I would say, one of the best living preachers in the world today, Sinclair Ferguson. He says, abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. A wonderful definition of what it looks like when you're a real 
Christian. The more you abide in Him, the more like Him you will become. Isn't that wonderful? The more you remain in Christ, the more of His character you will see in your own life. That Jesus is holy, utterly, absolutely holy, and so abiding in Him, you will be holy. He is loving. Imagine the compassion and mercy that Jesus showed to people as you read stories of how he interacted with sinners, with broken people throughout his ministry. That he had this amazing, immense, constant compassion towards those people. When you're abiding in Christ, you will have that compassion towards people who are broken, miserable, and lost. That there is the joy of the Lord that was his strength. If you want the joy of the Lord to be your strength, abide in Christ. Another passage from John says, Jesus says to his disciples, My peace I give to you. Imagine the peace of Christ and and know that when you abide in Christ, that peace is in you. You could go down the list of the other fruits of the Spirit and you see them perfectly in Christ. When you abide in Christ, you'll see increasing amounts of patience in your life. When you remain in Christ, you'll see increasing kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your own life. Part of the good news of this passage is that God desires that you would be a fruitful, evident Christian. That this is God's desire for your life. And it's not as though God is, is waiting, arms crossed, kind of for you to, to fix some things in your life. But, but God desires, God does this active work of, of pruning and caring for your life so that you would be fruitful. So that you would show evidence of the character of Christ even in you. God loves to bless us. Sometimes in our sort of straight-faced, serious, reformed culture, we forget that wonderful, simple truth. God loves to bless His children. God loves when we're fruitful, full of life, vibrant, joyful, peaceful people. God has saved us, He transforms us, and He is with us all the time. And the more we abide in Christ actively, the more we cooperate with Christ, the more of of that spiritual fruit we'll see in our lives. One important question that we could ask when applying this passage to our lives, is Jesus just talking here about individual people as though it's just the individual that's, that God will prune and, and care for? Or is he talking about groups of people like a church, a congregation, or even the church throughout the world? So is he talking to individuals or is he talking to groups? And the answer is yes. (laughs) It really is yes. It's both. In the Old Testament, there was um, a lot of attention towards referring to Israel as a vine. And so that would have been very much on the minds of the disciples as they were hearing Jesus teach this. And so they probably would have jumped a little bit more towards the corporate application, the group application of this passage when they heard Jesus say this. Often, especially in the book of Isaiah, Israel is referred to as as a vine that that was producing bad fruit. 
And so Jesus comes in with this teaching that he's the true vine and in him, um, his people collectively, corporately will be a fruitful uh, people in, in a good way, in an evident way. And so the church must abide in Christ in order to bear fruit that lasts. And so sometimes, again, in our American culture, we can just jump to the individual application, but this also matters for how we think about our church. Are we abiding in Christ as a congregation? A church must display the grace of Jesus, full of compassion towards sinners. If we're abiding in Christ, we will be a grace-filled church. I believe we are. I've seen evidence of it, uh, even in recent weeks. If we're abiding in Christ, we'll be full of grace towards one another, towards new people who walk through our doors. A Christian church must also abide in the truth of Christ. And so a real Christian church holds to the truth of the gospel, the teaching of the scriptures, uh, without wavering. Why? So that we might bear fruit. Jesus said in John 1, he came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so the church that abides in Christ will be full of grace and truth full of grace and truth. If we depart from that grace, the fruit that we bear will be rotten. If we depart from that truth, we can do nothing. But if we remain in Christ, we'll bear fruit uh, corporately as a congregation. But the message isn't just for a group of people, for the church. It is also personal. This is a passage for you, you, and for me. Several times in this passage, Jesus used personal words like whoever abides in me or if anyone does not abide in me. He uses quite a few personal um, descriptions of the person he's teaching to. And, and so we've got to also apply these words to our own hearts, to our own souls. One of the wonderful things that I got to experience during my sabbatical this past summer was worshiping in many different contexts, in many different churches. And, and, and going to some churches which are, are very formal, what would be called high church, huge cathedrals, where there's a liturgy that is read before the congregation. It was wonderful worship in many ways, but one of the, the lacking things in those very liturgical serv- services was, was a lack of the minister saying to you, where are you at with Jesus right now. And so it is good to say the Lord's Prayer and to read the Nicene Creed and to go through the forms that the church has handed down from generation to generation. And all of those things are objectively good, but we also need, you also need, for me to ask each week, according to the word, are you following Christ? Where are you at with God right now? What is happening in your heart? It can be so easy to hear messages about God. But brothers and sisters, this is a message for you about God. Where are you at with Christ today? Are you abiding in him? I want to ask you today, how am I doing? To ask ask you to think that about yourself. I suppose you could ask that about me too, I suppose, but... You could ask, am I personally abiding in Jesus through prayer? Where is your prayer life right now? Are you worshiping him? 
Next Sunday, we'll participate in the sacrament of communion. Are you going to gather in this place to participate in communion with a clear conscience, knowing you're fighting against sin and you're abiding in Christ? How are you doing with regards to obedience to Jesus' commands? He says, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, you will obey what I command. And so, the personal application is a lot of our focus today. So how will this come about? Well, the Father is the gardener, the vine dresser, who will actively care for the branches. And so think of yourself as a branch, and Christ is the true vine that you are connected to so that you would have life. And the Father, through the Word and Spirit, does this activity of caring for the branches. And so verse 2 of our text will really get a lot of our attention today. Every branch, says Jesus, that in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, that is the Father, through the Word and Spirit, prunes that it may bear more fruit. So we'll first focus on that that activity. He takes away the branch in me that does not bear fruit. But before we even get to, to that verb, let's determine who we're talking about. What does Jesus say? Every branch, the next two words are really important. In me that does not bear fruit. And he goes on. This means that this part of the teaching concerns people who are in Christ. These are people who believe the gospel. These are people who are born again. These are people who seek life not in themselves, but in Christ. They've turned to Jesus for forgiveness. That's important for how we understand the work of the vine dresser, the work of the Father. And so, at this part, at least, of the passage, the reference is to the Christian. So our ESV version translates, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And so the Greek word that is really important for that verb, and you could see it on the screen there, the Greek word is airo, airo. So if you lop off that last letter of the English transliteration, what word do you see? Air, right? And so the Greek word airo certainly can mean to take away. It does mean that in various contexts in the scriptures. But predominantly, the word means lift up. The word air makes us think of um, maybe being lifted up. And so, so consider that translation, um, this is from the teaching of a, a very good Reformed commentator named James Montgomery Boyce. He wrote that a better translation of this passage, this part of it, would be, every branch in, branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. It's, it's a little different when you, when you read it in that way, isn't it? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. There could be good reasons to translate it the other way, but I'm convinced by the teaching of James Montgomery Boyce that a better translation would be that he lifts up the branch that is in him that is not bearing fruit. So if you are in Christ and you are not bearing much fruit, the Father will lift you up. So I was talking with my wife Pam, who is an avid gardener, about why a certain plant might need to be lifted up. And so we were talking about the tomatoes in her garden. 
So tomatoes in particular, other kinds of plants as well, but tomatoes in particular must be lifted up off the ground if they're going to bear much fruit. And it's also the case with grapes, that that grapes growing along the ground will rot very quickly, and if they're lifted up, can can reach the sun better and can have more structure. So, This fits with how we see God's fatherly care for us when we sin. That if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you will not be thrown away when you sin. If you are in Christ, the Father would lift you up, set you up for spiritual success, would tend to you in a way that that lifts you up and helps you. Now, verse 6, a little bit later, teaches us that the branch that is not connected to the vine, that one will be thrown away. That one will wither up and be thrown into the fire. But this passage, this part of it certainly seems to be about the Christian who is lifted up when you're not bearing much fruit so that you might bear more fruit. So when we continue reading, we find the next activity of the Father who is the gardener, and it is pruning. Every branch that bears fruit is pruned. He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Which branches? Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Everyone, every one of us are going to be pruned and cared for, and that will involve lifting up, but it will also involve pruning. My knowledge of plants is not very significant, so I've learned a lot about gardening from Pam. And one thing that I had to learn early on about particularly trees, um, like peach trees, is that, see, as a city guy, I thought a very full tree with lots of leaves and branches would be the most fruitful tree. That's not the way that it works, certainly with peaches or with stone fruits or or things like that, though, Um, because they must be pruned so that the energy of the plant goes into producing fruit. Um, Every um, every year we also have that in our own parking lot, don't we? As the trees in our parking lot are pruned back so that there's almost no branches left on them. And then uh, every time I see it now, I've learned to look forward to the growth of those trees so that they would be full of flowers, because those who prune them know what they're doing far more than I do, uh, who I don't know almost anything about growing plants. And so thinking of of a tree as, as being as leafy and full of branches as possible and hoping that that tree will be as full of flowers and fruit as we want it to be is just wrong. They need to be pruned, cut back, so that they might bear more fruit. So, unfortunately, my error in thinking about trees incorrectly is also paralleled by how many people think of the church and the role of the church, that the whole purpose of the church or a sermon or a worship service is encourage, 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 say good things, pat people on the back, just tell everyone nice things without ever pruning. And the result ends up being a lack of fruit um, a lack of, of beauty in, in our lives, spiritually speaking. And so, 
we need pruning. Every branch must be pruned, and in all kinds of different ways and places. And so how does this pruning happen? Well, we heard twice in this passage that the words of Jesus will change us and through believing in his word will remain in him. And so we found in verse 3, already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And then in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so there, the, the active work of pruning happens through the word of God. That the word of God will lop off at times those parts of our lives that have to go, that have to be cut away. And so the Father does this by the working of the Spirit through His Word. I've often been amazed at the activity of the Word of God in worship. One effect of God's Word is that you would be encouraged, that you would be lifted up, that you would be comforted, that you would be strengthened, We've thought in previous weeks about how Christ is a good shepherd and the good shepherd comforts the sheep, gathers them to himself. And so certainly that is a function of the word of God is to encourage, to strengthen, to, to bolster your, your faith. But another um, use of the word of God is, is pruning things out of our life so that we might become more fruitful. One of the most well-known passages about God's word is Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. And in this passage, the the Bible is referred to, the Word of God is referred to not as a pruning shear, but as a sword. And so I want to read these words from Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, but, but remember how the Scriptures will be used for building up. We know that passage probably from 2 Timothy. But the Scriptures also will be used to cut things away from our lives. So, the, live, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So with the Word of God... The Spirit prunes us with perfect precision. It is only the Word of God that can prune with, with such care, precision, and effectiveness. Here's what that looks like. You come to worship, and you come to worship thinking, I want to know how to do what's right. I want to live a righteous life before God. And that's part of the reason for coming to worship is that you would learn and that you would do what's good. And the Word of God will encourage that good desire, but the Word of God will also cut off the desire to earn your salvation or become prideful in your good works. And so God's Word in that case lifts you up to encourage you to continue doing, seeking righteousness, seeking God's will, but that can get out of that branch, can go out of control and must be pruned at a certain point if it turns into a a works righteousness, self-satisfaction in the good things that you've done. So with the word of God, the Father through the Spirit precisely prunes our lives so that 
neither too much nor too little is chopped off. It takes precision, great precision, that the Spirit certainly has the ability to do, to cut between the good desire to do what's good and to cut away from that desire for self-righteousness, for, for works righteousness. The goal is that you would be more fruitful in how you think about righteousness. And it will take pruning, constant pruning, so that we desire what is good without trusting in ourselves or in our goodness. That's just one example. And there are many examples throughout the scriptures of how, how our thinking and our desires require constant pruning by the word and spirit. Another example would be caring for the environment. Don't we know that in our culture, caring for the environment is, is such a, an important thing to so many people, and it's good. It's a biblical principle to care for the world that God has made, to make wise decisions about our purchases and what we do with our garbage and so forth. And it's good to care for the environment. But the Word of God will also cut away that desire to control the environment so much where we, we are the ones fixing the world. So you can see it takes precision to make that cut. And between real care for the physical world and the environment that God has made and going a little bit too far by trusting in our care for the world almost for our own salvation or for the salvation of the world. So you can see this and there's many other examples uh, Scriptures have so much to say about complex matters that confuse people today. And when people are, are moved into confusion about these kinds of things, what is the result? It's a lack of fruitfulness. A lack of, of understanding. So there's any, a number of other matters where this happens. Showing compassion for the poor. Yes, we should show compassion for the poor. The Word of God is so clear about that. But we must do it in a certain way, Jesus says, so that your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. You don't need to parade it to other people when you're showing compassion to the poor. Get rid of that desire. Prune it off. But continue showing care for the poor. Or how we think about sex. Is sex a dirty thing that that we shouldn't talk about? No, we, we would prune that off right away according to the scriptures it's a good thing but is sex a basic human need that so many people in our world think it is no the bible doesn't say that it's that either so to think about sex in a biblical christ-like way is the only way to have a fruitful sexual life again the intention is fruitfulness joy peace And it takes precision that the Spirit has the ability to do to make us fruitful in all of these different ways. A number of other complicated issues. The role of governing authorities or how we parent our children or how we think of our material blessings, physical blessings. Each one has teaching in God's Word that can get a little bit out of control and God would prune it back to make our thinking on each of these matters more fruitful. So the person who abides in Christ will know and teach God's word. And from that, God, from that work that God does in our hearts, we will see spiritual fruit being borne out as a result. So Jesus finishes this part of his teaching as we start to close with a description of the life of the person who remains in him. Just 
kind of soak in this description that Jesus gives in John 15. By this, when you're bearing fruit, the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What are the words that jump off the screen to you? Abide, love, joy. Abide, love, joy. You see those words so skillfully, beautifully, perfectly woven together in these great verses. Are you more loving than you were a year ago? If yes, I hope the answer, the reason is you're abiding in Christ. So of course you are. Are you more full of joy than you were a year ago? Maybe difficult things have happened in your lives and you're in a hard situation right now, but if you're abiding in Christ, it is likely you'll be able to say, yes, I trust him. And so therefore I have joy. What needs to be cut off from your life right now so that you would abide more deeply in Christ? What is it that needs to be cut off? There's the obvious examples of sin that needs to be cut off. But in those other examples I was giving, um, there were good things that the Father might prune so that we don't trust in those good things more than in Christ himself. So obviously, whatever the Bible calls sin must be cut off from our lives. But then we would also ask the Father to do that, that active work of pruning with his word, with, the, with the, the, the sword that is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division between soul and spirit. It, it teaches us that God does this with amazing precision. Why? So that we would become more fruitful. If you know that you have a long way to go in this regard, don't be discouraged. If you know that today your life is not very full of spiritual fruit, don't be discouraged. Instead, abide in Christ. This is a lifetime process. This is a continual process, and God is the gardener. He's watching over you. He's caring for you. He's tending to you like an active gardener pays attention to his gardener every day. After all, does a cluster of grapes grow in one day? No. And so it's a process of growing in fruitfulness for the Christian as well. And so I would hope that the result of this message is not discouragement that your life isn't full of fruit, but rather just today, abide in Christ. Seek Jesus. Worship him. If you are not used to praying, just try before you go to bed tonight just to pray for a little while, just to go to the Lord in prayer. That's part of abiding in Christ. The Catechism said that's the most important way that we show our thankfulness to God is living a life of prayer. Abiding in Christ means worshiping him, means living for him, means obeying his commands. And I pray that God will lift you all up and will apply his word to your life this week so that in living a fruitful, 
vibrant Christian life, you can prove to yourself that you are Jesus' disciple to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray.